Genre. Each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Rudyard Fun, Antigone Fun, and Eric Chapman from the narrative podcast Wooden Overcoats. And joining me for the discussion is returning guest John Dorowski. I'm so excited to be here today. This is one that you've recommended that we cover several times. Many times for a few years now, basically since it uh, came out in 2015. And you've also recommended it to me that I should just listen by, you know, to the podcast, not as a topic for the show. And I just never got around to it until this last week in preparation, saying, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to do Wooden Overcoats. Uh, and uh, it is a fun, charming, comedic podcast. I uh, second is, your recommendation there. So this is a British comedy. So if you like British comedy, this is the podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, all the wordplay and uh, the double entendres and uh, the... Um, the the muttering mutter decides that you that, that you find in your in your favorite British comedies they're all here yeah and that is one thing that I should mention that uh, I know many listeners will listen to stuff at higher speeds because there's a lot to get through and sometimes some podcasts go very long uh, hopefully not ours <laughs> but this is one you definitely need to listen to at normal speed because uh, a lot of the humor isn't in punchlines and setups it's in how something is delivered how something is said. Well, and, and then I, you'll I, find the source of humor, and also in the in silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know the beat after something yes. is said before so someone timing. responds. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. So I highly recommend re- if you listen to this, listen to it at normal speed. Now we are going to be covering season one, which is only eight episodes, and each episode is between thirty and forty minutes. Yeah, they generally generally around thirty, except for the finale will go longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done three season and are preparing the fourth and last one. It was supposed to be released this summer, but it has been delayed. So, so probably this year, uh, but uh, go ahead and get on board now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in between the seasons, as part of their fundraisers, they support this through have supported this through Kickstarter. They'll do short uh, a series of short episodes during that Kickstarter period, usually by other people outside the main writing crew. And um, it's great clever comedy that is free through your podcast app yes. right now uh so there's no paywall at all to get to it free, free comedy in these times joseph <laughs> yeah. you say uh so, so I, I definitely uh do recommend again it's called wooden overcoats and i'm looking forward to the discussion um as we, as we break into it now john i i don't have the trivia for this one because it's something that you've you've known much more than, than i have yes. and so you were tackling both the trivia and the uh the summary for us so what what do you have uh, for us in the way of trivia well, first off, of how I came to it, um, listening to a lot of podcasts and often the panel show types, they'll say, you know, you know, have the people on and say, well, what else are you working on? And they'll be able to plug something. And one of them I was into, uh, they said, you can listen to this person on Wooden Overcoats and you can listen to this other guest on the Beef and Dairy Network. And I'm like, those are two intriguing titles. What are these about? <laughs> I went and looked them up and they're both great. I also recommend Beef and Dairy Network, though that is... More esoteric and absurd than whenever Crows of Mike. It's not narrative, right? No. no. Uh, but it is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the audio companion to the Beef and Dairy magazine for people who are, are working in or just interested in beef and dairy products. It, it's a concept that should not work. Well, and, and, and it's brilliant. I've not listened to it, but it's, it's entirely made up 
Oh, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, here's Duffy Fendery yeah. magazine. And, and as you said, like, the comedy builds, like, there's a through line. It's in-jokes get built in and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, which yeah. I, I haven't listened to that myself, but I've heard other people talk about it yeah. as well. So that's a, another fun one, very different from Wooden Overcoats. But if you're, like, if you're into British humor, these are two sides of it. Mm-hmm. And Wooden Overcoats refers, the title refers to... Funeral home. It refers <laughs> to a coffin. So uh, this is your short summary. Rudyard Funn runs a funeral home on the English Channel Island of Piffling. He, it used to be the only one. It isn't anymore. Rudyard Funn and his equally miserable twin sister Antigone run their family family's failing funeral parlor, where they put the body in the coffin in the ground on time. But one day they find everyone else enjoying themselves at the funeral home of a new competitor, the impossibly perfect Eric Chapman. With the help of the dog's body, Georgie Caruso, and a mouse called Madeline, the funds are taking drastic measures to stay in business. So let's get one thing out of the way. This and this will probably be the biggest hurdle for people. This is narrated by a mouse. But you don't realize that until no. the end of the first episode. Is that when yes, you learn? That's when she tells you. Um, and the mouse does not speak to the people. They do seem to. She and she's rudder to the mouse. They do seem to communicate. Like he can say something to her, and she'll squeak and. They at least pretend to have this understanding. Uh-huh. Um, but she is preparing her, uh, her book, Memoirs of a Funeral House Mouse. And that is the framework for the series. So if that's a bridge too far for you, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but It, it really doesn't yeah. influence the story itself at all. It's just, there's it happens to be a mouse that's telling the story. Yes. And, so. and a few jokes land because of that. Uh, but at the beginning, you just think it's an omniscient narrator. Yeah. Uh, in, in the first episode. Uh, and I remember... The reveal that this was all from a mouse. I'm like, wait, I even like backed up. I'm like, did I hear that right? Okay, yes, I did hear that yeah, right. So, uh, like, that is the only, really only hurdle that you might have to entry, yeah. but it's really not obtrusive or gets in the way at all. Um, so, as I, I mentioned, they this has been supported by fundraising through Kickstarter because this that a lot of people work on this. Uh, main characters are Rudyard Fun, voiced by Felix Trench. Antigone Fun, voiced by Beth Eyre. Georgie Caruso, voiced by... Sorry, it's one of those Irish ones. I've heard it several times. I want to make sure you get right. Kira Boxendale. Eric Chapman, voiced by Tom Crowley. Madeline, voiced by Belinda Lang. You have the head writer, David K. Barnes. Uh, Producers and writers, Andy Cardo and John Wakefield. And a composer and an orchestra, uh, James Whittle. So a lot of people involved, a lot of people that they want to get paid for this. Uh, Now... I'm a poor college student right now, uh, but I actually did make sure to set aside some money to support the Kickstarter on this. Mm-hmm. So if you end up enjoying this, this series, I'm the reason why you had more. <laughs> you me, personally. Me and a couple hundred other people <laughs> I don't know, they couldn't be here. So I'll take the credit on their behalf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so some trivia about this. This is, uh, in the podcasting world, this is very popular and has had... For, a lot of write-ups at places like NPR and the New York Times, and won numerous awards. Now, some of these are very specific awards, <laughs> but they've won them. So, uh, the first season was iTunes Best, one of iTunes Best of 2015. Uh, it's won several of the Audioverse Awards. This is uh, honoring the greatest works of immersive audio fiction from around the world. Now, it really skews very English right. speaking. Um, it, and it is an open nomination process and open voting, but 
if you care enough to vote in the audio for sports, you're going to know your stuff. So when they say that this one, this is respect in within this community. Uh, so twenty and also to avoid any copyright problems with other awards, these have some very long titles. <laughs> so twenty sixteen it won best original large cast long form comic production. <laughs> And best performance of an actor in an original leading role for a long-form large cast production. Uh, 2016 nominee for the Pre-Europa, which is a European broadcasting festival. 2017 British Podcasting Awards. Yes, they have a national award over there. Oh. Uh, best winner, best fiction podcast, Silver. I don't know the rankings there. I'm going to get second place for the Silver. That's just a guess, <laughs> I, though. Or the Silver <laughs> category, I don't know. Um... 2017 Audioverse Awards, uh, Best Writing for Ongoing Comedic Production, and Best Actress for in an Ensemble Role for an Ongoing Comedic Production. You can see they've changed the title, so uh, that went to Beth Ayer for Antigone. 2018 Audioverse Awards, Winner Best Audio Engineering, Winner Best Original Composition for the Air Balloon Suite uh, for music, Winner Best Performance in a Role in an Ensemble of an Ongoing Comedic Production. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> yes, for Beth Ayer. Winner, best writing of an ongoing long-form comedic production, and winner, best ongoing long-form comedic production. Ah. And did not win in 2019 because they didn't produce any episodes that year. Ah, I mean, yes, they were trying, trying to get them out for 2020. Well, and, uh, like so many people's tw- plans yeah, for 2020 uh, has not yet come to fruition so as they did. They took a year off. They came back and said, we're going to do one more season. And uh, so, yeah, that's coming. Okay. And we'll probably win awards. <laughs> oh, from the looks of things, yes. Uh, before we move on to the plot summary, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and for listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. And you can feel that same sense of pride that John just described in supporting <laughs> Wooden Overcoats by supporting the Protagonist Podcast. All patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss, and all patrons at any level receive access to our special quickcasts, which are shorter episodes in which we kind of break down our uh, monthly <laughs> fantasy box office. Uh, but this year, we mostly just talk about uh, the newer media that we've been consuming. And now, John has the long summary for us. Well, just, let me just say that uh, with the um, Patreon support, I'll also take credit for everyone who's not here right now. Uh, and saying that I'm the reason why you got part of the, sh- of the show. So if you want to say that too, support it on Patreon. So uh, for our summary, I'm going to run through some of the characters and then give the episode breaks down. So we have Rudyard Fun, a disagreeable undertaker, the kind of man who answers the phone, now look here, <laughs> instead of hello. Antigone Fun, Rudyard's twin sister, despite being born a week later. And uh, fun funerals embalmer, diagnosed with depression within 20 minutes of being born, and with so little presence that she seems to sneak up on people from the shadows. And I love, like, these little facts that you're giving, they get referenced in the show with no explanation, really. Like, the the Born a Week Leader is just a joke in the show, and it's great. And (laughs) I will say, I'm going to give a summary of the episodes. A lot of the humor is the character interaction, so, like, Antigone coming out of the shadows and someone... Uh, giving explanation like, oh, yeah. I, like <laughs> I didn't see it. Like, I was I was just there. Like you just didn't know. Uh, that that's constant throughout. Yeah. Like anytime she enters so, a scene, it's usually like, uh, oh, antiquity. <laughs> yeah. So as common with our comedic summaries, a lot of the humor is not going to come across. Yeah. There's, there's nothing to ruin a joke by like trying to summarize it for a podcast. Yeah. Uh, Georgie Crusoe, fun funerals, enthusiastic and competent assistant, proficient in practically everything. Eric Chapman. 
practically perfect in every way, but with a mysterious past. He has a penchant for staring into the middle distance, making an outrageous pronouncement, and then declare, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> and Madeline, our narrator, Rudyard's pet mouse, and who is recording everything for her book, Memoirs of a Funeral House Mouse. Episode 1, The Bane of Rudyard, in which Rudyard Fun experiences the worst day of his life, which was probably long overdue. At the funeral of the antique shop owner, directly across from the village square from Fun Funerals, Rudyard rushes the service and causes a riot by accusing the family members of stealing from the antique shop. With the help of his assistant, Georgie, they get the body in the coffin in the ground on time, with the possibility of another funeral as the shop owner's widow falls in the pit. Once back at Fun Funerals, Eric Chapman, new to the island, arrives to introduce himself and offers some helpful criticism before announcing that he is the competition, having already renovated the antique shop that morning. <laughs> Though Runyard tries to convince Mayor Desmond Desmond that the village cannot support two funeral homes, Chapman explains that a town, which the mayor wants Piffling Vale to become, can. When Chapman begins to steal customers with his good deals, amenities, and generally putting the fun in funeral, Rudyard vows that he won't give up without a fight. Episode 2, Flowers for Chapman. For the first time in his life, Rudyard Fun has a rival. If only he knew what to do about it. While Rudyard puts an advertisement in the local paper, Piffling Matters, Antigone investigates why Chapman has been buying all the flowers in the village. Antigone ventures forth during the day in her outdoor survival suit due to allergies for the first time in a decade. Chapman, who used to wear a similar suit, introduces Antigone to allergy medicine, and Antigone develops conflicting feelings towards her competitor. Though Chapman would like to discuss business with Antigone, he had only has eyes for Georgie. Chapman places flowers on all the graves in Piffling, the news of which moves the fun funeral ad from the front page to page 13 and reducing the text from Fun Funerals, Why Bother With Anyone Else? to Fun Funerals, Why Bother? Rudyard enlists Madeline's aid in sabotaging, sabotaging Chapman's next funeral by rearranging the flower wreaths to spell insults, but the last one backfires, revealing Rudyard's complicity. Episode 3, The Little Death. Antigone's weekly outing to see a depressing French film is interrupted by fantasies about Eric Chapman. Chapman asks Georgie out on a date, and Rudyard, who has to run a funeral, attaches a microphone to Madeline to spy on them. However, a mouse in a restaurant causes a panic. Eric and Georgie escape to the movie theater, where Antigone is waiting to watch her next foreign film. Rudyard joins them, ruining the night for everyone. Episode 4, Tempting Fate. This is Fate, F-E-T-E, -E, the village celebration. <laughs> so, just a pun there. I did not write that pun, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, Rudyard, as a member of the village council, is placed in charge of the fate. He is actually successful at planning it until an offhand comment by Chapman about it sounding very traditional. Rudyard then tries to plan an extremely elaborate celebration, which naturally backfires as everyone drops out from helping. While Rudyard oversees a funeral, Chapman saves the day by turning the fate into speed dating, giving everyone in the village to, a chance to meet each other, especially Mayor Desmond Desmond and the agnostic vicar Reverend Wavering. Rudyard resigns from the village council as Eric is appointed to it. Episode 5, She Stoops to Conquer. Antigone, fearing she will die alone, gets flirting advice from Georgie in the middle of embalming a body. Rudyard's old, old now rich acquaintance Seymour is in the village visiting his sick aunt, 
Attempting to assign Seymour as a client, Antigone tries flirting, which miraculously succeeds. Chapman is put off by not succeeding at securing a funeral. However, Seymour is not really interested in the details of his aunt's funeral because he actually practices tax scams and wants to bury some money. After she yells at Seymour, Antigone leaves much more confident about herself while Seymour dies of a heart attack. Episode 6, Georgina and the Waves. Rudyard, Antigone, Georgie, and Georgie's grandmother are drifting through the Atlantic in a rowboat. Madeline flashes back to how they all got there. While visiting the local sweet shop, owned by former police detective Agatha Doyle, Rudyard and Chapman are called to the lighthouse. Captain Scott Sodbury challenges them to provide a funeral for his pet seagulls, with the honor of hosting the captain's funeral as well as the as a prize as well as whatever is in his treasure chest. While Chapman hosts a party on his yacht, the funds attempt their own funeral at sea and end up lost in a rowboat. As tensions run high, they are rescued by Chapman. However, the funds have won Sodbury's respect and his treasure. Three written copies of the infamous erotic novel Island of Passion that was that the fake captain wrote under the pen name Veronica Knight. Episode 7, The Cliffhanger. Rudyard wakes up to find the house full of flowers which Chapman has sent to Georgie. Antigone, feeling that the funeral home is a failure, announces that she is leaving, but finds herself literally unable to leave the island. In order to sabotage Chapman's reputation, Rudyard plans a photograph of a well, Do you want to explain the literally can't leave the island? <laughs> okay, so she goes to the bus stop where she has a great conversation with the local hoodlums. Who are really artists. Yes, who are discussing art. Uh, and then she asks uh, when the bus comes and she says, and they inform her, there is no bus. The mayor wanted a place for the hoodl village hoodlums together, so we built a bus stop <laughs> for us to gather at. And therefore we come here, but there's no bus to take you anywhere. Uh... So in order to sabotage Chapman's reputation, Rudyard plans a, to photograph a dummy of Chapman throwing a cat into a trash can. Agatha Doyle begins investigating all the suspicious deaths that have been occurring since Chapman arrived. You may notice, reader, it is mysterious that this village can support two funeral homes. <laughs> Chapman proves he is not good at everything, as Georgie endures the world's most grueling proposal, especially as she is not interested. Antigone, realizing her destiny is to be an embalmer, decides to return and be the best one on the island. A cat tries to make a meal of the mouse Madeline, and Rudyard tosses the cat into a trash can. Witnessing this, an angry mob runs Rudyard, carrying the dummy Eric Chapman, out of the village towards the cliffs. Using the lighthouse to see through the night, Captain Sawberry is discovered murdered as Rudyard tosses the effigy off the cliff, making him seem a murderer, and he is placed under arrest. Episode 8, The Trial of Rudyard. Chapman has disappeared, and the village thinks Rudyard has murdered him as part of his serial murders. At the trial, Rudyard tries to point out that the murders began when Chapman arrives, but no one is compelled by the argument, and he is found guilty. At Captain Sodbury's funeral, Antigone realizes that the first suspicious murder of the antique shop owner who was crushed under a sundial occurred before Chapman arrived, disproving Rudyard's supposed motivation as well as any opportunity for Chapman to have committed it. Chapman suddenly appears in Rudyard's jail cell, having stayed hidden to discover the real serial killer. But someone who would have known about Chapman's arrival beforehand is Mayor Desmond Desmond, who could arrange for the antique shop to be available and rig the trial against Rudyard. However, the mayor really isn't detail-oriented. 
but his secretary, Mar secretary Marjorie Smith is. Antigone, Georgie, Rudyard, and Chapman arrive in time to be captured by Marjorie. Stressed by all the work she has been doing to keep the village running with no credit, Marjorie began relieving her stress through murder. But Rudyard is able to empathize with Marjorie being unappreciated and talks her down until Georgie can knock her out. Chapman offers a partnership with Fun Funerals, but is turned down as Antigone announces she will take an active part in managing the funeral home. And Madeline does publish her book, Memories of a Funeral House Mouse. The end. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's... Um... You get the beats of the plot there, but the, the comedy is all the delivery and, and some of the turns of phrase, which you can't summarize. So and so, the interaction with yeah. the characters. So so uh, listeners, go listen to <laughs> to Wooden Overcoats. We're still going to be breaking down some of the characters. One of the yeah. most fascinating things for me is that our protagonist is very unlikable. <laughs> yes, uh, this borders on cringe comedy without yeah. actually falling into it, which is really interesting as well. Uh, so when you think cringe comedies, things like The Office. Uh, both the British and the American version, where they uh, about your a character being awkward but being unaware of it and causing embarrassing what would be embarrassing, but they they themselves are not embarrassed, but we cringe at that. Yeah, and there's uh, you know, the comedy out of the social discomfort mm -hmm. uh, is is a lot of cringe comedy, and um, this definitely has some some of those elements, yeah. but it is also a little more farcical, a little more broad, which it feels weird to say a little more farcical than The Office, <laughs> which can definitely descend into into farce at times. Well, uh, and I think that's one of the strengths of it being an audio medium for this, where if we had some of the visuals accompanying us, like uh, Antigone learning how to flirt while embalming a body. Mm -hmm. Uh, that would have been pretty cringy, yes. but because it's audio, you can you imagine as much or as little as you want <laughs> to go along with that, uh -huh. and that actually enhances the humor unless it uh, be on one side of cringe comedy than mm -hmm. the other. And um, a lot of the comedy is definitely in the kind of um, you know the verbal uh, British verbal pattern of like an Oscar Wilde, you know, mm -hmm. where there, there's wordplay and twists that sometimes one reason why you said to listen to it at one x instead of two x. Uh, speed is because sometimes you got to catch the joke after it's flown by. Uh, yeah. And if you're at 2x, you, you may miss those. Well, a good example this is the first episode when, as I said, uh, Eric Chapman had renovated the antique shop that by that morning. Uh -huh. And they, uh, Rudyard and the mayor go over to see it, and he has a, or he has a lift installed, an <laughs> elevator. And Rudyard is just like, is that a lift? A lift? It's a really nice lift. It's just <laughs> this low muttering throughout the background of the, of the other conversation. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, and and you know it's there, and and the sound uh, editing and the engineering is is like clearly these are professionals who are doing this because you get some of those uh, you know the comedy is the fact that it's a background muttering you yeah. know uh, you know it, it's just the right volume where it's still distinct enough to make out but you know there's a physical distance when really this is all just people standing next to a microphone yeah um, but as you said our main character Roger Fun is uh, unpleasant uh, he could have been miserly and misanthropic. Really miserable character like Scrooge, but he stays on a side where, yes, he's those things, but he's still likable in some way. And it's an int really interesting how they're able to accomplish that. I think one thing is that he's the underdog in the story. Mm. That Chapman swoops in and, as he says, practically perfect at everything. Uh, and so they're fighting for their existence in this. And that, um, I think that. That pathos keeps him on a side that we can root with him for him, even if we don't entirely like him. Yeah, and this really comes clear in episode six, where uh, they're doing the funerals for the seagulls, 
and they see Chapman's yacht and everyone partying over there. And Antigone says, look, we're never going to win. We're, we can't beat Chapman. Uh, so what are we doing here? And Rudyard says, yeah, we're like, okay, I'm never going to be Chapman. That doesn't mean I shouldn't try. That doesn't mean I shouldn't put in effort. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you, you hear things like that, and you're like, yeah, like, that's a good attitude to have. Yeah. Like, even if you're failing, it doesn't mean you shouldn't keep putting in effort. Well, and another thing that I think makes his character work is that his, uh, like, some of, I think what would be perceived as like rudeness and abruptness, it's not coming from a place of maliciousness or a desire to hurt other people. Yeah. It is, um, you know, like he wants his funerals to be exactly on time, you know, like, and to carry that out, he's got to cut people off like the agnostic uh, <laughs> reverend uh, who's, who's trying to say, he's like, if there's a God and who's to say if there is, there may be or there may not be. If there's not, let's explore this. And, and he's like, no, no, we've got to put the body in the ground. <laughs> Maybe we should do two different services. One for people who believe and one who don't, those who don't. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so like his motivation for some of the behaviors that are the most problematic or the most frustrating isn't, uh, um, you know, an anger at, at humanity or even a lack of caring about others. It's about like this over uh, obsession with, um, with his timetable and his schedule. And I think another thing is that this is a man who's being forced to change. Like part of when we first see him and he causes the riot at the funeral, Yes, he is an unpleasant person, but then he gets confronted with his shortcomings in, by Eric Chapman, just by Chapman being there, not that Chapman points out his shortcomings. Yeah. Um, and so The contrast is striking. Yes. Once Eric uh, Chapman is there, you couldn't help but feel your own inferiority. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so he's being confronted for the first time in his life of having to change. And that's a hard process, but he's, again, trying. Yeah, and he fails a lot, but... Uh, that he has that underdog attitude of no, I, you know, like I, I, if I keep going at this, someday I'll succeed. That is something we can get behind. So, uh, part of it is that he's is changing out of being a miserable person. Mm. Well, and I think another aspect that makes it kind of um, compelling is mm. that that flaw that we identified that we we see in the first scene of the first episode is his obsession with routine. Yes, right. Uh, you know that things have to be just so, and when, now he's going to have to break routine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like he's never had a rival, never had competition, and now so like he could have done everything just the way he's been doing it, uh, and. Yeah, people complain, but he's the owner of funeral. And what else are you going to do? But yeah, now he has to change, and that's hard. And we see that that is hard for him. But it, and it's a gradual process. But he is changing. He's not at the end of the journey, even by the end of the third season. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, so besides the obsession with uh, routine, there's also an obliviousness. Like he, mm-hmm. he doesn't understand at all what Antigone's feeling or what her <laughs> motivations are yes. uh, at any point. Or is anyone it, else. Yeah. Yes. Um, it, so there is, you, you couple that, uh, you know, those, those two factors and you can get a very unpleasant person, but it doesn't feel unpleasant like a, you know, like an Ebenezer Scrooge who, mm-hmm. you know, has nobody, you could say like it was because Flowers does an obsession with money, but he also seems to take great pleasure in having more than everyone else and yeah. and uh you know grinding them down in order to make himself feel better you don't get that from from red yard you yeah. know he's he's just um un- unaware of how his actions are impacting others which is its own kind of villainy but it's just a different different type yeah no, i think another thing that highlights the contrast with chapman which very extreme contrast that we'll get into um but there's style of funerals where 
uh, Chapman is all about celebration. And yeah, uh, Rudyard gives a very low, no frills funeral, but in your grieving process, sometimes that's what you need. Mm -hmm. uh, this comes up much later in the series when Chapman tries to take over as the psychologist to give the doctor, the only doctor on the island, a week off. And he's all about positivity and being happy. And someone says, like, we're grieving. We don't want to feel happy right now. You're not helping us by trying to make us feel happy. And so that, that contrast, like, it's people grieve in different ways. And both of these are valid. Uh, and, yeah, that means Rudyard's style is uh, valid in some ways. efficiency. Yeah, yeah right? in like somewhere, in some ways. We're, we're going to do the task that needs to be done as efficiently and in some ways as quietly as possible. Yeah, and so that, yeah, you know, maybe you don't want to celebrate the person mm -hmm. who just died because they were a miserable person as well. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes uh, your grieving is, we just have to get over this and uh, move on. And so uh, it's not that he's wrong in his style, uh, it's not necessarily right either. Yeah. Um, but I think that's one thing is that his, the service he provides is valid. Um, let's talk a little bit about Antigone and then we'll circle over to, to Eric Chapman. So uh, I've listened to the series several times. Usually when a new so season comes out, I'll go and listen to the whole thing. Which is brief enough that you can do yeah. that without it being yeah, a commitment. This, one of the nice things about uh, actually a lot of audio fiction that are in the podcast format now is they do the season format and do just a couple episodes a year or every six months. So it's not like you're getting a weekly dose and you're not, you don't have that same level of commitment as you do on some of the other podcasts, like the protagonist podcast. This isn't a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, at least I'm not doing, you know, the five times a week or even some people seven times a week yes. of a podcast. <laughs> yes. There are those people. Um, but yeah, like having, you know, and part of it is that it takes a lot of time to produce these. And so getting that good quality means you only get eight a year. Mm -hmm. But that means you can get caught quickly. And uh, like the first time through, you're getting the plot and uh, introducing characters. But as I've listened more and more, Antigone has really come to stand out. Well, in, in thinking about a, a story of in terms of character progression and like where are the characters at at the end that's different from the beginning. Yes, Rudyard and Eric both changed, but... Antigone is the one with the greatest transformation yeah, in this most, first season. I've only listened obvious, to yeah. these eight episodes. She's the most obvious change. Um, but but she has definitely traversed the greatest distance. Yeah, because she's a recluse who is uh, every phobic. Yes. <laughs> um, is so uh, afraid of like, social interaction that she has none. Yeah, like Rudyard isn't good at social interaction. Antigone doesn't know what social interaction is. Yes. Um, and... and there's uh, the episode where we kind of see a little bit more of a world where like once a week she goes out to the cinema and, and like for us as an audience it's clear the the person who gives the only movie ticket out every Thursday night which is only to Antigone is madly in love with her yes <laughs> and and she has no idea because she hasn't she doesn't pick up on social cues um, at, at all and he I, the, the, the little jokes about his loveless marriage that yes. <laughs> were like the, those were some of my favorite moments where he says and it's like this, he, he, he this says, side character appears in the one episode yes and that's it but he, he says something about like uh, well, you remind me of of my. Or he says something reminds him of his wife, and she goes, "Yes, I embalmed her." <laughs> yes. like, and then he's like, "Oh, you saw more of her than I ever did." And it was the quiet marriage we had, and he's like, just uh, off. And clearly, this was there was no intimacy in his marriage at all, and he has all of his emotional attachment is now on Antigone, and yeah. she, she she has no idea um, about it. But we so so we see that 
yes, she she has her own routine, such as it is, is once a week going out. Um, but she does get this call to change when she has emotional romantic stirrings for Eric Chapman that she's never experienced yes. for the other human being. And, and so she gets this desire change. And now the transformation that we get is not her like successfully romantically pairing with Eric Chapman. It is her assert, asserting her role in the funeral home as yeah. now I'm going to be a co-director. I'm going to, you know, take over uh, and and I help. Have, I have ideas, too. That are going to be better than yeah. my brothers because they <laughs> they, they will be. <laughs> um, but and and part of this is what's appealing about these characters. These are some pitch perfect casting choices. Mm-hmm. Like you hear these voices and they it's just their delivery immediately evokes the character, especially with Antigone with her low growl that can turn into shouting. <laughs> like those are your two modes: are low growl and shouting and frustration. Uh, and is uh, so part of part of the appeal is the the vocal performance, which she's won the two audio verse yeah. awards for. I mean, when you describe it like that, it makes me think of um, Toby Ziegler on mm. West Wing, oh, yeah. where uh, oh, he, perfect parallel, ter- terrifically emotionally damaged character that you know that and you don't know why for the longest time. Yeah. You just know this is emotionally damaged, brilliant person. Whereas with the two, she was just born emotionally damaged. But with Toby, like he has those two volumes yeah. he's, he's almost whispering and quietly in the background or he's yelling and that, that's about all we get you know yeah. as far as his um emotions and it is just compelling uh for drama and yeah. in here we see it as like rich comedy uh mm-hmm. that is coming from antigone and, and so it's very interesting to see those parallel characters that are in different genres but once you start to like connect those dots like i can't i can't disconnect those anymore because i see it um and they're operating in such different tones and genres and it works so well yeah and it's a, a good contrast with uh, Rudyard, who is exasperated by everything not going his way. And then Antony comes in, and uh, just her being there is you know, part of that progress of change, of her coming out of there, and he has to deal with that as well. And so... By coming out of there, you mean she's out of the embalming room. The embalming room, <laughs> the which is where, yes, where she is the best embalmer. Like, like uh... <laughs> yes, she's she is working. She is working very hard to make this the best embalming you can have. She wants oh. sense in there so that yes. the body is pleasant. <laughs> yeah, she's inventing new techniques for embalming because yes. she is so good at it. What was that? She you get a little bit of a backstory where she had a nickname. What was it? It was something with formaldehyde, but I can't remember what the um, nickname was anymore. Yes. They called me Heidi? Is that what it was? Yeah, Heidi. Yeah, in college they called me Heidi. Why did they call you Heidi? Your name's Antigone. It was from formaldehyde. Yeah, so I I think what I like is like her inciting incident that's going to send her on this path of change is the the romantic stirrings, but that is not the end goal and that's not the, you know, the the transformation that we see at the end. Um, She's a great word. She's yelling at Chapman and well, suddenly, like, yelling at anger, and then suddenly he will say something about how he find, uh, she finds him sexy. Like, <laughs> and uh, the same to- same angry tone mm-hmm. throughout. Right, well, and then the other kid's like, what'd you say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it always, th- always throws them. What was that last bit? <laughs> and she never repeats it. <laughs> you know, you just, she just carries on. Um, yeah, so... I, what? I didn't say anything. <laughs> uh, so, uh, she's a very compelling character, and if you're saying, like, this you know, you get a second and a third season. I'm. Uh, do we see more growth coming from her, particularly? Yes. Yeah, uh, she definitely comes out more. And, uh, and when she says she wants to be a partner, she really does want to be a partner. Okay. She's not going to uh, just toss a few ideas and go back to embalming. She 
really does get involved in the business side of things. I'm always intrigued with uh, you know the, the storytelling process. Like when you when you make a story, where you obviously you listed like there's a dozen plus people that are collaborating. Uh, you know to make make this come to fruition. Um, and, and several episodes in, you get that Antigone centric one, right? Um, uh, the so there, kind of two. Do you have the, the the one with the the film, right? That's the third episode. Third. And then you have the fifth one where she practices flirting. Right. <laughs> In this low growl, trying to flirt. Yeah. And saying the name over. Yeah, the, the, instru- the instructions was if you want to, want him to be interesting, you say it, repeat his name. Hello, Seymour. Seymour. So nice to see you, Seymour. I'd love to see more of no, you, Seymour. No, I was like, hello, Seymour. What's your name, Seymour? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm wondering, like, was it always acknowledged that she was going to be the one that had that? More significant, or is this something that just kind of happens as you're telling a story? Yeah. That characters can take on a life of their own. Particularly once you get a performer attached to them. Once you have performer, also when you're uh, writing in groups. So this isn't just one person writing all the mm-hmm. scripts. This was the uh, kind of TV production where you have multiple people. Yeah, there's a writers' room. Essentially. All the, yeah, all giving input on the scripts. Like, did was there one writer who was like, I like Antigone. I I want to keep pushing her forward and make her the important one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, barring a behind-the-scenes special where they yeah. answer questions we're not going to know, but I, the, those kinds of things always intrigue me, because mm-hmm. clearly, this, from the pilot, this is going to be a Rudyard story, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, not only his. Yeah, not only his, but, but we get a lot of um, focus on these other characters. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Eric Chapman, right. the, the two perfect uh, contrast and foil for Rudyard, uh, another funeral home director who is astoundingly competent at and both social interaction and the job of uh, yes, you know, burying the dead. Sweeps in and everyone likes him because he's pleasant and warm. He's immediately uh, like the, the the mayor, the the agnostic reverend, everyone, everyone is taken with him. Yes. Uh, I have, I've written down some of his pronouncements about his past, both from this season and future seasons. Okay. So these are some things he will say before looking out into the middle distance and saying, that was a long time ago. So he uh, has a gold medal in the 200 meter dash, studied medicine at Oxford, debunked faked mediums as respectable specter inspector Kojak Holmes, astral apparition division. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is an action figure of him. He gave a TED talk on the Finnish education system. He keeps a few passports. He lived off scorpion meat for six days in the Mojave Desert. It would be awkward if he encountered MI5. Uh, trapped during a mountaineering accident until another climber came by, and there was a hospital around the corner that used diamonds as cheap currency. <laughs> uh, this is one of those great declarations that lion taming is more fun to, to do than to watch. Once spent Christmas with Tony Bennett, ghost wrote novels for John Grisham, and was voted Mr. Sunshine, the happiest person in Finland, which is the happiest country in the world. <laughs> um, he is uh, an excellent comedic foil. I don't feel like I got to know him as a person at all. Yeah. Uh, like, he is a caricature of the two perfect uh, yeah. antagonists. Yeah, he is the foil. There are a few moments where you get some of the depth of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and she stoops to conquer when uh, Antigone secures the um, funeral for Seymour. Uh Chapman's actually put out, and he keeps trying to impress Seymour. And so, like, when they're Antigone and Seymour at, din- at dinner, Chapman comes into the dinner with the mayor, and he's like, and he's like, 
Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an person, important person here. Why, why are you going? I really don't understand why you're going with the. So there's a, there's a neediness yeah, uh, so, for present there, and yes. on top of the you know underneath all this uh, seeming facade of perfection. Yeah, so like there, you get hints of it. There, mm-hmm. you know, there's notes of flavor, but no, we we don't get much because uh, everything is being told from the fun's point of view. Mm-hmm. We don't get to see uh, what his life is really like. Um. So besides the the contrast that. that is so obvious between uh, Rudyard and, and oh, Eric. And I said, also, like I said, this is great voice work. And again, it's uh, perfect voices where you immediately get a sense of who the character are, are with Chapman, with, where he, his voice is just sunny and always friendly. Mm-hmm. But, but why do you think that, that works? Besides, again, the contrast with our main character, why for comedy does, does that kind of character, uh, you know, function well in these stories? Yeah, because just like Felix... Or not Felix Trench, just the voice of Rudyard, I apologize. Yeah. Just like Rudyard could have fallen into cliche and been just been a miserable person. Chapman also borders on cliche uh, with just being sunny. But you, again, you get those hints that there is more depth. And, but it's, it is the contrast uh, that is the source of comedy. Uh, because that you, you know, doing contrast is always funny. That's why you have Laurel and Hardy, a fat man and a thin man. Mm-hmm. Just funny to see them together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's, you're right there. Um, and it feels odd because like, uh, or Eric Chapman, he's, he feels like a very thin facade of a character, mm-hmm. but he also brought great energy every time that he was, he was on, you know, yeah. not on screen, but you know, <laughs> every time we heard him, uh, in, in a scene, uh, you know, there was the boost. Uh, I guess it makes me think a little bit, um, of, uh, on Cheers, uh, Kelsey Grammer said, like, his role as Fra- Frasier was to be the splash of color on the mm-hmm. canvas, uh, and then when he switched to Frasier, he had to be the canvas and let Niles and, and his dad be the splashes of color, and Daphne with her absurdity, mm-hmm. you know, like, they became the splashes of color, and he had to be the canvas on which everything was being painted. Very good uh, analogy there, where, yeah, we uh, Felix is, sorry again, thinking the voice actor, uh, Rudyard is, uh, the canvas for this, and you need that contrast to really understand Rudyard and also to see his change. And they actually do something that very clearly shows their contrast where whenever Rudyard is outside, it's raining. But whenever Chapman comes over, it's sunny. <laughs> and it, it, literally, I, I think in one episode, he, uh, Chapman leaves and it's sunny and Rudyard's like, hold on a second. And he just opens the door and it's raining outside. <laughs> just wanted to test that that's what was happening. Yeah. Um, are there any other characters you want to note? Uh, Georgie Crusoe, their helper, um, partly because she's so confident at everything and she actually does have a cheery personality. I kind of wonder why is she working for the funds? Uh, what does she get out of that where she actually does a lot? Like, even though she's confident, she does a lot of the hard work. She's going to have you lifting. <laughs> yes. Literally. <laughs> literally, they have, they have her carry the bodies and things yeah. like that. They have them carry coffins. <laughs> and, um, but she... Whereas uh, Eric Chapman, when he makes his pronouncements, uh, it sounds a little boastful. She'll just do these asides where they'll, like, uh, whatever. So just, or, like, before the village fate, uh, they're like, Georgie, what can you do? I can build a carousel. All right, you go to them. <laughs> like, I can build a carousel. I'm great at building carousels. Or another one where uh, I forget what the setup was, but she just goes, I'm great at wrangling rhinoceroses. <laughs> there's and, a there's a running gag about rhinoceroses yeah, in one of the episodes. Yeah, and it's just but it's just this low key aside in contrast to Chapman where it sounds boastful. She just says, "No, I can do that." Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, I the mayor uh, his it, something about his aged muttering was always uh, <laughs> that, a pleasure to listen to as that a was, comedic performance. Uh, the creator, I I did listen to an interview and he said that that was one of the moments a that where they knew they nailed it, but also when they knew that some of the lines weren't funny in themselves, it was in the delivery, and so it's when they introduce the mayor and Rudder comes into the office trying to get Chapman out, and the mayor's under the desk, uh, and the uh, just one of the lines is uh, about why he's on it. He goes, "Big world out there." <laughs> and it was just like just how the actor delivered that it was so funny. Like we knew that we could write write lines, and someone else could make them funny. <laughs> um, and I guess when, once we get to the mystery, it's worth noting just from a storytelling perspective. Uh, like the the mayor's inability or unawareness of all the details is established very early on that his secretary is the one that's keeping this this yes, town running. And it, it's great that uh, the secretary is mentioned, but she's never brought mm-hmm. up. So it's it's the thing of you have to make sure you, the villain your your murderer is introduced at the beginning, but they do it in such a way that you never notice. Them. Well, and, and as as a comedy, because you don't even realize this is a murder mystery at first. Oh yeah. Uh, but as a comedy, the humor of the mayor being so oblivious works and feels like motivation enough to have the character that way. And then we find out it's really this double motivation for his secretary to have been driven to, to murder. Yeah. yeah uh, you have the clear motivation. The mayor wants to turn this into a t- village, into a town, but, but he's so, he's inept, which is hilarious. Uh, you know, his ineptitude is, as a source of comedy works, but then his ineptitude becoming the, the motivation for the murder, uh, just works structurally story-wise. At one point he announces, uh, you know, help uh, turn us into a village from a village into town. We're going to build a second hospital, which I'm sure the doctor will like. He's like, no, we need more doctors, <laughs> not more hospitals. <laughs> uh, well, then I also wanted to point out, just with the mystery, the, the Agatha Doyle, as soon as I heard the name, I'm like, she's going to solve the mystery. But also, I don't know what the mystery is, but it's Agatha Christie and Arthur Conan Doyle. But also the <laughs> classic setup of uh, the retired detective who's taking up a frivolous job, a candy shop owner, or there's a series where... Uh, the detective winner did a uh, runs a pie store now, but always gets pulled back in to do mysteries. Uh-huh. And she's like, and that's when you start realizing, yeah. And she's like, yeah, some of these murders are kind of suspicious. Yeah, how can this village support two funerals? <laughs> well, any final thoughts about wooden overcoats before we wrap up? Uh, I did want to mention a few things, especially if you end up enjoying the show. There some other productions uh on the wooden overcoats website they have two specials that they use for fundraising it's pay what you want for them so you can get them pretty cheap actually uh there's rudyard ruins christmas and rudyard ruins summer uh and then uh based off of their work on this uh, most of the crew have uh developed other podcasts if you enjoyed this i highly recommend victoriosity a steampunk mystery s- series with tom crowley as Inspector Archibald Fleet. He, Tom Crowley also writes, performs, and entirely produces Crowley Time with Tom Crowley, a sketch show. Uh, again, he does all the voices on it, so it's actually like, impressive. Uh, Quid Pro Euro is narrated by Felix Trench, who plays Rudyard Fun. This is a, the concept is that this is a video cassette series from 1995. Looking at the future of the European Union. Uh, Andy Goddard has also produced Hector versus the Future, in which Hector runs the Obsoletium, which is in competition with the Uptodatium. 
kind of see where the humor is there. And also the Unseen Hour, which was a stage production. That is more esoteric British humor. That's a kind of very specific and some uh, you'll have to find out if that's for you. Um, also, as podcast called Zero Hours, episode two stars Tom Crowley and Felix Trench together again. Uh, so if you enjoy this, you can check out some of these. Now, uh, while One Over Coats is family-friendly, some of these other ones will have that little e-tag uh, for swearing, mostly. So just be aware of that. Okay. Well, I very much enjoyed One Over Coats. Thank you for recommending it, John, and I'll be listening to the next uh, series in the coming weeks and months. Uh, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com, or us on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute, and our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. And all patrons at any level uh, get to get our... Oh, I got off script, guys. It just really spun out on me. <laughs>